0: This is Phantom Power. Hey, it's Phantom Power, where artists and scholars tell stories about sound. I'm Mac Haygood. You hear the roaring crowd and the bombastic yet self-important music. That's right. It's February in the United States of America, and Super Bowl Sunday is less than a week away. Today, we're going to talk about American football. Okay, look, I know a lot of our listeners aren't in the United States and don't even accept our definition of the word football. And even for many of our American listeners, the National Football League represents some of the worst aspects of American culture. Hegemonic masculinity, deep racial inequities, the glorification of violence, my God, the traumatic brain injuries. It can be hard to be a thinking, feeling football fan. But at the same time, football exhibits some of the best aspects of American culture, in my opinion. Large, multiracial teams working together to execute a project of enormous complexity. The dedication and physical poetry of the athletes. The fans coming together across political and economic differences to cheer for a shared identity. And there's this rare moment once a year when it feels like the entire country is focused on one game altogether. So today we're talking about the sound of football, specifically the role of voices in football. And this is the first of a three-part Phantom Power series called Voices. In the coming months, we will investigate human voices in terms of both gender and ability. We will talk to a senior scholar in the world of sound studies, Jonathan Stern, about his new book, Diminished Faculties, a Political Phenomenology of Impairment where he thinks really deeply about the disabled voice and the role of assistive vocal technology. And we're also going to hear a documentary from an exciting emerging scholar in the sound studies space, Stacey Copeland, whose work explores the gender dynamics of voice for women working in radio. But first, we start with a rather quirky story from NFL history that speaks to how the voice intersects with our ideologies around both disability and gender. It's about a player whose voice stopped working the way it once did, revealing that football isn't just a competition between teams on the gridiron. It's a competition of audibility and vocal toughness. And like the rest of our Voices series, I think it opens up some fascinating questions about what a voice actually is, what it does, and what it means to those around us. We'll start in San Francisco. The year is 1980. We're at a National Football League game. Wait, let me cue up some 1980s football music. Okay, so the San Francisco 49ers are a middling team and they're currently losing to the Atlanta Falcons who are having a pretty great season. Announcer Vin Scully and commentator Hank Stram are calling the game for CBS.
1: The second and nineteen for Steve Deberg. Remember, Deberg has a nerve problem with his vocal cords. He's wearing a power pack and a microphone.
0: So this is the early 1980s, just before the 49ers' glorious Joe Montana 1980s. Montana is the backup quarterback right now. The starting quarterback is the not so memorable Steve the Deberg.
1: Was Frank Reed. Was defending. Let's look at DeBerg. You might be able to see the microphone. It's on the lower bar of his face mask. And if you notice, he looks like he's starring in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. That's the power pack with the amplifier. And he claims that it hinders him in the very early going. And then after a couple of minutes, he's accustomed to it. Last week, they made believe he had technical problems. Brought in Montana, who bootlegged for a touchdown against the Jets. Smart football, good strategy.
0: As journalist Eric Branch details in the San Francisco Chronicle, DeBerg had damaged vocal cords from a hit to the neck. His voice had no power anymore, and also it needed time to heal. But this is the NFL, where people play through injuries all the time. When his throat specialist told him not to speak for a month, DeBerg said, I'm an NFL quarterback. I have to yell over 75,000 fans. I can't not talk. And so an unusual footnote to football history was born.
1: And speaking of wind factors, we mentioned before, we'll mention again, that uh, Steve DeBerg has a problem and that he can't be heard calling signals because of an injury to his larynx. And so he's been equipped with a backpack and a microphone. He used it last week, all right.
0: So I first got wind of this story by way of the Pick Six podcast, an American football podcast. The title of that episode was the UNBELIEVABLE, UNBELIEVABLE in all caps, story of Steve DeBerg's loudspeaker shoulder pads. And as you hear in this clip, they really do find it unbelievable.
1: He's been equipped with a backpack and a microphone. He used it last week all right in San Francisco. If it could get noisy here, something else might happen.
2: What? The hell is that? Back, back, and a microphone. Oh, you heard that correctly. The team went ahead and strapped a frickin' loudspeaker to his back so he could call signals through a microphone. Seriously. We became obsessed. How was this possible?
1: How did we not know about this?
0: Now, for a sound scholar, there are a lot of interesting aspects to this story. First of all, what is the role of the voice in this profession? I mean, it must be pretty important for the team to go to the trouble of inventing this assistive technology. But second, why the -the over-the-top reaction of the sports podcast? After all, this is the NFL, one of the most high-tech, performance-enhancing sports around. Why are they freaking out so hard? This question goes beyond what the voice does in the game mechanics to ask what the voice represents in the NFL. To get some answers, I buzzed my friend Travis Vogan, a sports media scholar at the University of Iowa. He is incredibly prolific. He's written histories of ABC Sports, ESPN, boxing movies, and those NFL films. In the world of pro football,
2: Toughness is a vital part of a player's anatomy.
0: If you watch any American football, you know the ones I'm talking about. So first I asked Travis about the role of the quarterback in the NFL.
1: In football, there it's a pretty crowded field. There are 22 people on the field at a certain time. And, and the quarterback um, is what, you know, sort of colloquially sometimes called the signal caller. Um, but also called the, the field general. So it has this kind of dual role as, as sort of someone who's directing traffic and also somebody who's, who's leading. And I think that the way that the voice works tends to fit into that uh, practical, but also that masculine register.
0: For people who aren't familiar with American football, there are two teams lined up facing one another at the line of scrimmage it's up to the offense led by the quarterback to initiate the play but everyone needs to start at the same time uh, otherwise there's the risk of of being of encroaching onto the other team's side of the field and the play will be busted and you'll be penalized right so it's the voice of the the quarterback has to be what really initiates the beginning of the play right
1: Well, technically, the play is initiated when the ball is snapped, Mm -hmm. but the quarterback is the one who indicates when the ball should be snapped based on when they um, say the word that's going to signal the snap. And usually it's hut or hike, but they also can use their voice as a way to distract and deceive. And so one of the big conventions in in American football is – this idea of a hard count, where they'll basically um, alter the cadence and the accent on certain syllables 19. or certain words. And the center, the person who hikes the ball from the line of scrimmage to the quarterback to get the play going, the center will be um, hiking the ball on a specific accent. So rather than being going hut, And starting the play, they'll go, hut, hut, or something like that, or hut, 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 hut. And then on the particular accent that they've agreed upon, the center will snap the ball. And so it's important for people to be able to hear not just the words, but the nuances of the words. And a lot of quarterbacks, for instance, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers is probably the best-known quarterback for what's called a hard count where they'll be playing with those syllables, not just in a way to keep the defense off guard, but also to try to draw the defense offside.
0: This vocal trickery is one of the keys to Aaron Rodgers' long success in the NFL. If he can draw the defense offside, an official will throw a penalty flag, but this won't stop the play. Rodgers now basically has a free play on his hands. He can throw the longest, riskiest pass way down the field, and if things go awry and the pass is intercepted by the defense, the play won't count and the penalty will be enforced. But if the play succeeds, Rodgers' coach can refuse the penalty and reap the rewards of the high-stakes play.
2: Flags, free play. Rodgers! Rodgers! Touchdown! Flags are down on the field. Sean Lee was back in coverage, and Richard Rodgers is good for the touchdown of 34 yards if it stands.
0: Well, Jared Cook, he's the X-factor. Defense number 95. This penalty is
1: declined. The result of the play, touchdown.
0: Home team fans try to deny this kind of advantage to visiting quarterbacks by being as loud as possible and masking the quarterback's voice. But when COVID kept fans at home on their couches, Rodgers could use his hard count even on the road. Take this game in New Orleans, for example. It's September of 2020. The seats are empty due to COVID. And although the NFL is simulating the presence of cheering fans, the volume is nothing like the usual, notoriously loud environment of the Superdome, which often forces QBs to use a silent counting system. 19, 19, 19, The 58, he got him, he did it again, free play, he's the king of the free play, end zone shot Rogers
2: almost pulled down by Lazar, but that's going to get another flag down there in the end zone.
0: And this is exactly what we're talking about with a snap
1: count. This does not happen if this is a normal crowd in here. No way. They're in a...
0: After the game, Aaron Rodgers acknowledged that the lack of fans helped him get his first win in the Superdome in years.
2: Aaron, for the first time in three
0: tries, you get a win here at the Superdome. How would you value the ability to communicate in here and to be able to use that hard count the way you did? Yeah, it's a big weapon for us. A lot different environment than in
2: 2008 and 2014.
0: You know, this place is rocking all the time. Um, I, I know we all miss that in this sport, you know, just the fan interaction, the energy from the crowd, but it definitely helps us out in a tough environment like this. Scholars of science, technology, and society often study moments of technological breakdown because these moments reveal the unacknowledged processes and mechanisms that constitute the life that we take for granted. When Steve DeBerg's vocal cords were paralyzed, it highlighted just how important a quarterback's voice really is. Similarly, when the stadiums were empty under COVID, it showed just how important sports fans and their voices are. In fact, years before the pandemic, Travis Fogan and I wrote an article on the huge, unacknowledged, and uncompensated financial value that fans' voices bring to the NFL and its team owners and its broadcasters. Link in the show notes if you're interested. And you know what? We felt pretty validated to watch the league and the networks scramble to simulate the sound of fans in the COVID era. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll dive deeper into the roar of the crowd, a sonic space where acoustics, community, affect, gameplay, and ideology
2: collide. Hey, what's up guys? It's Mullock, the dark god of information capitalism. Moloch, whose eyes are a thousand blind windows. Moloch, whose soul is electricity and banks. Just taking a quick break to remind you guys to rate Phantom Power on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. That's what we in the industry call engagement, and it lets others know that this podcast rocks. Today's five-star review comes from Man o Reason in Australia one of the finest programs on sound culture. Can't recommend this podcast highly enough for anyone interested in sound culture. The production is outstanding with a variety of relevant and engaging subjects. The recent two-part feature examining the legacy of R. Murray Schaefer is essential listening. Right on, man. So remember, do Mac a solid and leave a review. Who knows, maybe you'll get a shout-out from yours truly, Moloch, the dark god of information capitalism. Now back to the show.
0: To really understand the role of the voice in the NFL, we have to think about the relationship between voices and noise. Now noise is a notoriously multivalent term, and much ink has been spilt defining and debating its properties. But let's come at this from the admittedly incomplete perspective that we've learned from communications, IT, and engineering. So here's one cheering fan. Hey, hey. One voice.
2: Let's go, Buffalo!
0: It's a signal. Hey. It carries the specific message or information of its words and also a general sentiment.
2: Let's go, Buffalo!
0: But if we multiply this cheering fan by tens and then
2: hundreds
0: and then thousands. This multitude of individual signals begins to cancel out its own linguistic information. We can't understand the words anymore. In an informatic sense, we've crossed over from vocal signal to vocal noise, but the sentiment remains. In fact, in that very act of canceling out the linguistic value of the individual utterance, an overwhelming affective value is generated. The hairs rise on the back of your neck. Your pulse quickens. You feel something. Maybe it's euphoria. Maybe it's terror. But you're in the thrall of a kind of socio-material sonic excess. A wall of sound. In our article on crowd noise, Travis and I got specific about the value that cheering fans bring to the NFL and its media partners. It's an activity that constitutes fandom for those in the stands and transmits an affective charge for those watching and listening at home. We charted how the league started off trying to regulate fan noise, actually penalizing home teams whose screaming fans disrupted visiting offenses.
1: He's got to tell the
0: crowd to settle down. Bobby Ross uh, directing from one sideline, and Parcells now down by three the other.
2: Getting quiet
1: so we can get a play. This is. This is a-
0: but the fans revolted, and the NFL soon moved to actually promoting the sound of screaming fans, even branding it, as in the Seattle Seahawks fans' famous title, The Twelfth Man a name that celebrates the fan's ability to affect the gameplay on the field. And at the same time, advances in audio technology allowed broadcasters to carefully pick up fan noise with microphones and mix it into the rear and side channels, controlling it as an important part of the televised product. But as Travis Bogan explains... Voices in the NFL don't just do things. They also mean things.
1: I think that the way that the voice works tends to fit into that practical, but also that masculine register. Um, And so you hear quarterbacks hollering, but not screaming so much. So they have to be loud, but they also tend to be more like booming and baritone and masculine as well. So it's this kind of strange combination between, you know, getting the message out, but also filtering it in a way that sort of signals that manliness and um, leadership element that we associate, especially with a sport like football, which is so wrapped up in, in understandings of masculinity, and especially the position of a quarterback, which is the, the leader of the football team.
0: Wow. Yeah. You know, when you put it that way, it, it makes me think about, you know, like a marine drill sergeant or something there is something about the sound of the voice of the quarterback that is reminiscent of that
1: yeah you're absolutely you're right um the the sort of like company halt yeah Yeah. that's sort i don't know exactly what they say but it is the cadence is very similar um to something like a drill sergeant or when you see some kind of military pageantry and of course you know a drill sergeant isn't somebody who stereotypically would sound any way but fully masculine, right? Um in the most kind of stereotypical and authoritative way possible and you know if you listen to the quarterback calling a play, you know, you could probably map that onto a military operation pretty easily and I'm sure that it was partly Um, influenced by that and again we're kind of back to this idea of the quarterback as the signal caller slash field general right in the world of pro
2: football toughness is a vital part of a player's anatomy
0: now some of you listening might wonder why travis and i are dwelling on such an obvious point i mean if you hate the nfl And you've made it this far. By the way, thank you for making it this far. Really, thank you. You're probably thinking, well, of course, as the leader of this toxic spectacle of masculinity, the quarterback is going to be a bellowing blowhard. I don't have the world's greatest rejoinder for that. And to the extent that the broader American culture is like the NFL, patriarchal, racist, corporate capitalist, ableist, what the bioethicist Gregor Wolbring calls a rat race of human abilities? Well, we desperately need to change that. But on the other hand, I will defend the idea of a playful space removed from everyday life, a ritual space where people display the virtues of strength, courage, speed, dexterity, and intelligence. I just think that anyone of any background or gender identity should have the full opportunity to develop those skills and to compete with them at the highest level. And right now, the NFL is far from that kind of space. In the NFL, only one player can have his voice heard. And the NFL has a very specific idea of what that voice can sound like.
2: What the hell is that? Back, back, and a microphone. microphone. Seriously, how was this possible?
0: And this explains the comical and disbelieving tone around Steve DeBerg's vocal prosthesis. Can a weak voiced man really be an NFL quarterback? Isn't his voice revealing some inner weakness? And isn't using a loudspeaker cheating? It's just a particularly striking instance of the way ideology works, right? That this thing, the sound of a person's voice, um, either in the air or through a microphone, becomes a index of all these other things about a person. And like whether they're in control of themselves Whether they're believable, whether they're relatable, whether they're likable, uh, whether they're powerful, whether they're weak, whether they should be taken seriously, whether they're smart or dumb. And this is before we get into things like accent, language, uh, usage, and subculture and things like that. That's sound scholar Jonathan Stern. We're going to hear a lot more from him in an upcoming episode in this new series, Voices. In particular, we will reverse engineer the relationship between voice and ideology that he just described. The meaning of a voice is never limited to its words. Its very sound speaks volumes. Or at least we hear it to do so. We really believe that the voice reveals something essential about the speaker. But maybe what we're really hearing is the sound of our own unspoken beliefs. Is there an implicit sound in your head of what a quarterback sounds like? And is that sound keeping other voices from sounding natural in that role? In an NFL where black quarterbacks are still too rare and openly gay or trans quarterbacks are unheard of, this question of what sounds natural to us matters. As we've seen, the NFL isn't just a battle between teams. It's a battle between voices in the fight to be heard. And that's it for this episode of Phantom Power. Big thanks to my friend Travis Vogan for being on the show. You can find links to some of the things we talked about, including that 2016 paper that Travis and I wrote, The 12th Man, Fan Noise in the Contemporary NFL. It's all at phantompod.org. You can also subscribe to our show there or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you'd rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast channel of choice. Today's episode was written and produced by me, Mac Haygood, with special thanks to Amy Shurseth for her helpful feedback on an early draft. Phantom Power's production team includes Amy, Ravi Krishnaswamy, and Craig Ely. And our new transcript maestro and research assistant is Jason Megacy. Coming to you from Cincinnati, Ohio, home of the soon to be world champion Bengals, I'm Mac Haygood and go, Bengals!